grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps you weren't expecting to hear me read one of those lists of the 12 tribes of Israel. From Gad, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. It starts to feel weird after a while, saying the same number over and over again. After all, I mean, on this day, All Saints Day, that's, that seems like kind of one of those Old Testament things. And so-and-so begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so. Like, what do we, what do we, why that for All Saints Day? The companion to this hymnal that talks about all of the special services says this about All Saints Day. It sets before us the full height and depth and breadth and length of our dear Lord's gracious salvation. It shares with Easter a celebration of the resurrection. Since all those who have died with Christ Jesus have also been raised with him. It shares with Pentecost a celebration of the ingathering of the entire church in heaven and on earth, in all times and places, into the one body of Christ, in the unity of the spirit, in the bond of peace. Just as we have all been called to the one hope that belongs to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. And the Feast of All Saints shares with the final Sundays of the church year. We're getting close to Advent. We're getting close to singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? It shares with these final Sundays of the church year an end times focus on the life everlasting and a confession that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In all of these emphases, the purpose of this feast, this celebration today, is to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we might not grow weary or faint-hearted. So a reading from Revelation, sure. In fact, the second half of that reading from Revelation would do just, just fine. We could just leave out the 12 tribes and the 12,000 that make up the 144,000 with the seal of God on their foot. I mean, that's kind of confusing, sort of unclear. Maybe we just leave that part out. And we focus on the, the throne of God and those who have every tear wiped away by the lamb in the midst of the throne. But in fact, friends, the 144,000 is where you come into this picture. John's vision of those who have come out of the Great Tribulation, those who have died in the Great Tribulation, which is a period of time that started when Jesus ascended to his throne in heaven and continues even now until Jesus returns. This whole stretch of time we're in now is the Great Tribulation. John sees those who have come out of the Great Tribulation. They're clothed in white and they're waving palm branches like it's Palm Sunday and they're, they're singing a victory song. That's a vision of the church triumphant. We just sang about them in the first couple of stanzas of For All the Saints. These are the ones who from their labors rest. But remember stanza four? We feebly struggle they in glory shine. So the white-robed multitude standing in God's presence, shining with the glory of the slain lamb who redeemed them, that's not you and me. Not yet. Not until we go to be with Jesus. We are the ones who feebly struggle. And I look out there and I see some faces like, yeah, that sounds like me. That's all of us. It's not an insult. It's not a put down. Compared to resting in paradise, where there's no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, this is hard. This is a struggle. 
You and I, we know hunger and thirst and suffering of all kinds. We know anxiety. You couldn't describe us as saints who from their labors rest. We are fighting the good fight. And a lot of times it feels like we are losing the good fight. We might not go the distance. We are the ones running the race. We are the church militant, the church at war. Not war like this world knows war, but war against sin and death and the devil. But the promise of this text from Revelation 7, the reason I'm preaching on this text today, the reason we included the 144,000 is this. By God's mighty power, we in the church militant will cross over. We will pass through the portal of death and become members of the church triumphant. By God's power, we will be preserved and we will join that uncountable multitude. Let's get into this a little bit. John, who is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, the same guy who wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, wrote this book, Revelation. And he has been watching Jesus open the seals on God's scroll of salvation. It's a, it's, it's a scroll and it's got seven seals on it. And he opens the first four seals and these four horsemen appear. This might be familiar. The four horsemen of the apocalypse which are symbols that represent conquest and war and famine and death. And they ride across the earth, leaving all of those things in their train. War, famine, death, conquest. And then the fifth seal is opened. And John sees the saints of God crying out from beneath the altar, God, how long until you avenge our unjust deaths? We were killed just because we loved you. And we wouldn't renounce you. We wouldn't say that Jesus didn't exist. We wouldn't say... That Jesus wasn't God. We trusted you and we paid the price for it. How long until you make this right? And God says, just a little while longer. And then the lamb, Jesus, he opens the sixth seal and the great day of the Lord comes. The sun turns out like somebody flipped a switch on a light. The moon turns blood red. The stars fall out of the sky. There's a great earthquake that totally demolishes the earth as we know it. And princes, rulers, great and small, rich and poor, slaves and free, men and women, young and old, they all say this. Fall on us. They're calling out to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Keep that in your mind. Who can stand? Who can survive this? If I could make one of those record scratch noises, I would. But this is like, stop everything. Hit pause. And then we change scenes. And there's this other, the, the vision changes to one of comfort. John sees this angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he says, don't destroy the earth until we have sealed the servants of our God. Until we've placed the seal of God on the foreheads of our servants just like we do in baptism. And then 144,000 are sealed all, from all the tribes of Israel. Here's what this means. We're going to do a little bit of revelation math here, okay? The 12 tribes means all of God's chosen people. Not one group left out. 12 times 1,000 from each tribe is not a small number, but a really, really big one. 1,000 in the Bible especially in this kind of literature in the book of Revelation, is 10 cubed, which means complete. So you've got 12,000 
from every distinct group among God's people. Number of completeness. And then they add up together to 144,000, which is the grand, complete army of God's chosen people on earth. Arranged in this formation. It's almost like a military census. Back from the book of Numbers. And they are ready to carry out God's mission on earth. The best commentator I know of on the book of Revelation helps us out here. He says, the number is symbolic of perfection. Similar to the perfectly square dimensions of the new heavenly Jerusalem that comes later in Revelation. With whose four walls each measures 144 cubits. The new Jerusalem has 12 foundations and 12 gates with 12 angels, one at each gate. And the 12 gates are inscribed with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, while the 12 foundations are inscribed with the names of the 12 apostles. You shouldn't picture this all literally, right? But the point is that the entire church is included. The new heavenly Jerusalem is named with the people of God. It's built on the foundation of the apostles. The 144,000 thus present a picture of the church militant throughout the entire period of the prophecy of Revelation and at any given moment in this time period, meaning at any given moment between Jesus' ascension and his second coming. Whoever is alive and believes in Jesus is part of this 144,000. You don't have to think, like, am I going to be included? No, that's not a concern. It's not like some of us are part of the 144,000 and some of us, well, you're too bad. You, you, know, you drew the wrong number. It's not like a raffle, okay? If you believe in Jesus, you're part of this army that is then sealed with the seal of the living God. This is the church militant. This is you. This is you. So what's the story with the seal of the living God? What does it mean to be sealed? Well, as always, we let the more clear parts of Scripture interpret the less clear parts. So back in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, In him, in Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession, right? Until the deal is finished. To the praise of his glory. To be sealed by God means to be one who receives the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Through the word of God. Through the sacraments. Of baptism. And the Lord's Supper. This is what Luther means in the small catechism. When he explains the third article of the creed. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. Enlightened me with his gifts. Sanctified me. And kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, the whole 144,000, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise up me and all the dead and will give eternal life to me and to all believers in Christ. And it ends like this. Say it with me if you know it. This is most certainly true. I should end a sermon like that sometime. Sorry. Where's Mason? That's not the end. That might have felt like the end. It's not. There's more. Not much more, though. Okay, hang on. The four horsemen of war, conquest, famine, and death are even now marching across the earth. The saints across the globe are persecuted and even killed for their faith. Some of you know these things from your own personal experience. Some of you will know them in the future. 
Others of us don't, but we face a different kind of trial. We live in this land of plenty, this false promised land of milk and honey and everything we could ever want. We face this struggle, the the tribulation, of staying awake in a land that wants to put us to sleep with the lullaby of worldly comforts. Who can stand the great day of the wrath of the Lamb has come? Indeed, none of us can unless you are sealed by the living God through word and sacrament. First Peter, St. Peter, our church's namesake, He writes in his first letter, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being kept by God's power, sealed by the living God. And the way he does that is through your faith. And he nurtures that faith like this. What we're doing now. So now we can receive the full comfort from this Revelation 7 text. It's not just about our loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord and are now, even now, in the near presence of Jesus. This is about you, too, and how you pass from the church militant, from this veil of tears, into that number. God seals us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, preserving us in that faith through the word, through the sacraments, until our course is finished and until we stand before the throne and before the Lamb and we join our parents and our grandparents and our children. In singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. By God's mighty power, we in the church militant who feebly struggle will be preserved, will be kept to join the church triumphant. Rest from our labors is coming, and it's not up to us to get there. God preserves us. The same Jesus who saved them saved you. The love of God that found them at the font and at the altar the love of God that was carried to their ears while they were yet unborn in their mother's womb from the voices of mother and father and preacher. The love of God that was spoken over them like a lullaby while they lay on their deathbeds. That love of God saved them and it saves you. All who fight the good fight of faith, confessing the name of Jesus to the world, will one day stand before God in glory with every tear wiped away by the hand that was nailed to the cross to save you. When the fight is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear. You know what that means? Steals on the ear? Like, what is that? What is that? Do you hear it? the distant triumph song. And hearts are brave again and arms are strong. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen.